Hello and welcome to today's episode with Jessica Drummond, founder of Integrative Women's Health Institute. Jessica is a pelvic health physical therapist and clinical nutritionist with 20 years of experience. And she's passionate about caring for and empowering women who struggle with women's and pelvic health conditions. Jessica is equally passionate about educating and supporting clinicians in confidently and safely using integrative tools to transform women's health. Jessica equips thousands of clients to start their own health coaching practices, and she regularly lectures on topics such as integrative pelvic pain management, natural fertility options, optimum hormonal health, and wellness and fitness. Remember that I am not a medical professional, so whatever I share on this podcast is to inspire and empower you to take control of your health and your bodies. Please always speak to your healthcare professional before making any major changes to your diet or lifestyle. With that said, let's get right to it. Hi. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for um, agreeing to come on this with me today. You're welcome. I'm so excited. Okay, so I'll start with um, who is Jessica Drummond and uh, what makes her get up every day? So, who am I? Well, (laughs) I have a lot of different roles. Um, I'm a mom of two daughters. I have a 16-year-old and a 9-year-old. I am married. I live in uh, Connecticut, just outside of New York City in the United States. And I've been clinically a physical therapist, pelvic health physical therapist, and clinical nutritionist for, well, I started in physical therapy about 20 years ago and clinical nutrition about 10 years ago and sort of combined them both at this point. Uh, My graduate degrees are in those two topics. And because of that wide-ranging experience and my own personal experience with a fairly significant hormonal crash that happened due to a viral activation after the birth of my first daughter, I have this very wide lens on how to take care of pelvic pain. Because I recognize from my clinical practice that sometimes we hit a limit of how much we can really help with just pelvic PT and how much we can really help with just clinical nutrition, but combining both of them and for the woman herself to be really engaged in the process and have really clear goals about what functionally she wants to be able to do, um, you know, what's kind of pulling her forward out of the pain, because pain itself is a, is a driver to make changes in the short term. But after a while, it just can be kind of frustrating. You feel like you're like running on a treadmill. There has to be something outside of that that's sort of pulling you towards taking care of your own health. Because a lot of what, in my experience, really helps with endo. Now, of course, excision surgery is very often a key piece of the puzzle. Sometimes medications are key. But what really helps to reduce and relieve the symptoms from the root cause issues are lifestyle changes that no one can do but you. Yep. And so you have to be really excited about why you're doing that because otherwise it can feel hard. Yeah, definitely. Okay. (laughs) That's cool. So that's kind of your motivation 
helpful. Yeah. So my motivation is just that I feel like I have a unique vantage point on this because of my own illness and the kind of wide and various training I've had both in, in integrative and Western medicine and my 20 years of clinical experience. You know, I learn a ton from every single one of my patients and I've been teaching practitioners for about 15 years. Uh, and even with our current um, institute, I've trained well over a thousand gynecologists, nurse practitioners, pelvic health PTs, health coaches in more than 60 countries. So, you know, I teach them, but I also learn a lot from them. And so I have a very wide view of this. So because of that, it, it's given me a protocol per se. I wouldn't say there's like this very clear step-by-step, step, but there is a clear outline for how to optimize our physiologic systems to make the disease less prominent in terms of its influence on our lives. So what would you say is missing in the medical profession when it comes to women's health? Why is there that gap and what is that gap? Well, I think the biggest problem is, okay, so the standard model is, depending on what country you live in and a little bit depending on your health system, but in the US, if you have pelvic pain or bad periods or you know something like that, you're gonna go to your gynecologist. Yeah who is not really educated on endometriosis, Mm -mm. um, unfortunately, which is shocking, but true. And so they think they, they have a few tools. They might give you hormonal birth control. They might use some medication to try to quiet the symptoms. And that may actually solve the initial symptoms in some people, but it's not doing anything to deal with the underlying issues with the lesions themselves or and the inflammation that may be propagating the lesions or making them worse and the changes in the gut microbiome that also are influencing digestive symptoms and pain symptoms or the cha- or the the health of the brain which is what um all pain signaling begins in the brain so we need healthy brains too so you're just kind of at best putting a mask on the on the on the putting like a band-aid over the problem, but not really healing it, just like hiding it. Yeah. And unfortunately, and and you know, there certainly are great gynecologists out there who've done their own work and their own research and attend conferences like the International Public Pain Society meeting and things like that. And but on in a, on average, that's not really the case. And unfortunately, there are still general practice physicians and gynecologists who are just flat out giving the wrong information. Like I had a patient come to me just last week who said, oh, my doctor told me, she was like 22 or something. They were like, oh, I have endo or they think I have endo. So he said, the the best thing for you to do is just get pregnant. Which I can't believe they still say that (laughs) even till now. I know. (laughs) I know. I mean, it clearly does nothing. It doesn't solve the problem. And then you have like, if you're 22 years old and you don't want to get pregnant, that's not a good answer. No matter what, then you also have a child, you know, even if you do get pregnant and I have two kids and it's not something we take lightly. (laughs) Right. So, okay. So there are a lot of terrible myths and then the best case scenario is you get a band aid that kind of works. At least maybe your symptoms are quieted down. Why that is the case, I honestly don't know. Our education is a mess. 
you know, there's lots of systemic problems with healthcare. We could talk about that all day, but the truth is it's the truth. And now in some um, countries with more socialized medicine, like uh, Canada, there are a few endo like specialty centers, which do give good holistic care. I know there's at least one in Canada. Now there's one, maybe there's more than one, but I know of one in Canada, which is a huge country. So it's hard to get access to that. And often people have to wait a couple of years and kind of deal with that mushy model that doesn't work until they get there. But at least it exists. Um, in the US and in other countries where that doesn't exist, your best strategy is to try to be that person for yourself. Like pull together your own center of excellence by working, by finding the people you need to put together on your team. And, and fortunately, that's kind of what we teach both our practitioners and for our practitioners to kind of help their clients do. And what I do in my client practice, I do still uh, see a few clients each week. So tell me more about the IWHACC. I'm actually interested. So I know you have um, clients who are medical professionals, but you also work with actual patients. So say an endometriosis sufferer who just wants help. Do you work with them or how does it work? Yes. So I have a small clinical practice where I do work directly with patients. And starting in January, so January of 2020, my uh, small team of our health coaches and a team of people that we ha have trained that are not uh, directly associated with our organization, but we can point you to them. Mm -hmm. um, my guess is it's going to be around 25 practitioners, health coaches, pelvic health, physical therapists, um, a few physicians, things like that, who will have a, a directory on the site as soon. I have a book coming out called Outsmart Endo. And we are training practitioners along with the book because the book is great. Like you can learn exactly what to do as a, as a human. But if health is not your first zone of genius, it would be like me saying, okay, I've decided I'm going to renovate my bathroom. And you can learn to do that like in a book or on YouTube. But the first time water starts shooting out of my wall, I'm going to panic and call a plumber, right? Exactly, <laughs> right away. <laughs> right. So I, it's kind of the same thing. Like I've been studying endo for 20 years. Like I don't expect someone who was diagnosed six months ago and, and it's still complicated. You know, and I don't, I don't expect someone who's diagnosed six months ago to do this on their own. So we are training people and we have been training people for years, but we're very going to be training a very focused group of people practitioners for you to go to either within our organization or outside of our organization, just find the right person that, that gels with you and, you know, maybe lives near you in your time zone, whatever. And they can do coaching with you around the book. And if you can't afford to do that, or you're not quite ready to take that leap, you're still in the learning phase, then outsmart endo. It's actually available for pre-order right now on Amazon. And then it'll be out in January. Okay. Well, that's amazing. So that would be for both uh, patients and even practitioners, right? Absolutely. So our training program is for practitioners and then those practitioners will be available for patients to come and, and get really a handholding with that step-by-step -step process. 
All right. That's amazing. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. And those are health coaches. So they don't necessarily have healthcare degrees, although a lot of them do, but sometimes it's actually even better if they don't, because they have that kind of empathy. We're training certain people who have had endo, who have built platforms like yours, yeah. who are really immersed in it. Because in, with this disease, a lot of times the, the patients who have been navigating it for five, 10, 15 years, are more knowledgeable than the practitioners. So there will be coaches in that among those practitioners who are, you know, super advanced learners of endo, but maybe are not licensed professionals, but they will be, you know, coaches and most of them board certified coaches. So um, they'll, there's a range of professionals. And a lot of times it's not that you need more knowledge, it's that you need more help implementing the knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Liron, you said something about um, like a protocol that you've got. Can you share a bit more about that with, um, as regards to dealing with endometriosis? Yeah, so I don't think in super specific protocols, but I do think in sort of a process. So generally speaking, it's very common with endometriosis to have overlapping digestive issues. So we start with digestion because if you can have the cleanest, most beautiful food plan, but if you're not absorbing it, you can't use those nutrients to quiet your endo-inflammation, to optimize your brain health, to optimize your immune health, which really directly communicate with kind of the endo experience from a a biochemical standpoint. And then same thing with your gut microbiome. There's a lot of research that shows how the gut microbiome influences endometriosis symptoms. So we start with digestion. That's step one. We see, you know, how healthy your gut microbiome is, the bacteria that live in your colon, and they're supposed to be there, but we want them in a good composition. How well you're absorbing nutrients, what kinds of foods you're eating that will be either healing or contributing to inflammation. Um, then we move into just more intense anti-inflammatory things that will support the immune system, things like fish oil, turmeric, um, other antioxidants, glutathione. And then we focus on brain health. So is the person's blood sugar steady? So their brain is not kind of constantly craving sugar. Um, Do you have good iron reserves, but not so much that it's inflammatory? How's your menstrual bleeding? That influences a lot whether or not someone has anemia, which can make the brain feel oxygen deprived, which again will contribute to increased pain signaling. So things like that, making sure you have enough nutrient absorption, vitamin D. So we work through the physiologic systems, digestive, immune, nervous system, and endocrine system. Now, it used to be a little clearer that endo was more of an estrogen-driven disease, mm-hmm. but there's some research that came out in 2018 that, that makes that seem not as clear. Um, some, so it's possible that some lesions are more influenced by progesterone, some by both estrogen and progesterone, some by neither, which makes sense to me because otherwise it would always work for people to be estrogen deprived. So that's what a lot of the drugs do, right? Like hormonal birth control essentially suppresses estrogen. So do things like Lupron in a really intense way. And that doesn't always work. And it has a lot of side effects. At best, it helps the symptoms and it's a bit of a mask, but it doesn't necessarily improve 
the lesions themselves or the inflammatory process around the lesions. So instead, I like to think of it more like cancer or Alzheimer's. So in, you know, every human has some cancer cells in their body, but not everyone has cancer, right? Because you have to have both the lesion and the inflammation that will feed the lesion. And in some cases, hormones. So like in breast cancer, you have to have estrogen that will feed the breast cancer lesions and in certain kinds of breast cancer. So the lesions vary in kind of what influences their progression. Yep. Same thing in, in Alzheimer's. You can have the plaques and tangles that in the brain, you know, or the like physical manifestations of Alzheimer's, but not have dementia if you don't have inflammation. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. So, so of course, in most cases, just like in cancer, it's better if we get the lesions out, which is why excision surgery can be so valuable. But then you want to also kind of suppress that inflammation and make sure the systems are all optimized in terms of how they're functioning. So you don't want excess estrogen and excess estrogen will come from two things. One, too much exposure to to environmental estrogen. So things like plastics and stuff like that. Also, if you're constipated, you can't process excess environmental estrogens. Mm -hmm. And if your liver is not functioning optimally, then you can't process endogenous estrogens. So the estrogens that you make. And so you need to be eating lots of broccoli and lots of fiber and all those things that help us process our hormones adequately, even if we don't want to totally turn them off because, you know, people with endo need estrogen in other ways. They need it for their brains and their hearts and their bones. And so we don't always want to just shut off the the estrogen. We just want to make sure it's being metabolized well. Let's talk about the health fads and trends out there. So because a lot of us want to get rid of our estrogen, the excess estrogen, we all know about the, you know, stay away from plastics and Mm -hmm. things you're doing, your health, um, skincare and all of that. And we're trying to take that away little by little. But with time, there's quite a lot of fads out there. And um, one of them being, I don't know if it's a fad or trend or if it's true. One of them is celery juicing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, celery yeah. juice is definitely a fad. Um, <laughs> I would confess, I try to drink it because I'm like, you know what, just in case it works. <laughs> I mean, right, but I need to know. Um, tell me about celery juice, and then tell me about other fads or you know trends that are out there that we should probably take a bit, bit a pinch of salt. <laughs> yeah, so celery juice. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a great drink. You know, it's basically water and electrolytes and maybe a few micronutrients, you know, like that. Um, It's hydrating. You know, a lot of people in this country are constant in in the world are constipated, don't get enough vegetables, you know, starting your day with celery juice instead of, um, you know, Coffee. (laughs) coffee with cream and sugar is definitely better. Yeah. Now, is celery juice going to heal your endo? No, <laughs> it's not that simple. Will it possibly help? You know, is it a good thing to add to the to the arsenal? Sure. But you can have green juice in the morning. You can have lemon water. You could have herbal tea. 
uh, you'll get similar benefits from a lot of those things. Uh, green smoothies, you know, there's lots of nutrient-dense drinks you can have in the morning. If you like celery juice, feel free to drink it, um, but it's, it's not uh, going to cure endo. Okay. All right. Are there any other fads? Whether it be nutrition or something else? You know, I'm trying to think. There's so many fads on Instagram. Keto. Keto is a big one. The ketogenic diet. Low carb diets are probably best for endo because of that um, blood sugar balancing capacity. Do you need to be hardcore in ketosis? Should you be eating only bacon? No, you need to be in an anti-inflammatory low carb diet. So you still need to be eating a lot of vegetables. Um, oxalates are a a point of controversy, uh, because a lot of people with endometriosis also have interstitial cystitis, bladder pain. Um, my perspective on that and the research that I've looked at, and this is a bit controversial, is that generally speaking, while it can be good, so I generally start my clients on what's called an elimination diet. So you start on a really clean food plan just so we can make assessments because everyone is a little different. There's no one endo diet. But for about four weeks, we're on a food plan that's really clean. And I don't actually take out all the oxalates, but we can start to notice oxalates and other like foods that are high histamine, things like that. But what we're really just trying to do is rest the digestive system and help your body absorb nutrients better. Then my goal is to get the digestive system functioning better. Make sure you have, you're chewing enough. The, the evidence-based number of times you should chew a bite of food is 40. Mm. <laughs> oh my goodness, it will turn to mush. Right. Well, that's the goal. Drinking my food, right? (laughs) Right. Now, most of us don't have time for that. I'm pretty happy if you're doing it about 20 times, but there's mechanical digestion and there's chemical digestion. And the chemical digestion doesn't work as well if the mechanical digestion is skipped. So chewing our food is key. And then many, many people, especially with endo or other chronic pain conditions, are lacking enough stomach acid because it takes a lot of physical energy, ATP, to make stomach acid. And if you've been in chronic pain and you haven't been sleeping and your body is using its resources to just survive, you're not making a lot of digestive juices. So stomach acid, digestive enzymes, sometimes people have genetic issues where they can't, they don't have enough of the digestive enzymes to break down histamines. I see that a lot in my practice. So I think of digestive enzymes and, um, stomach acid supplements as like crutches for your digestive system. So for a while we clean up the diet, we support the digestive system. And then, then people often can tolerate foods that are higher in oxalates or higher than in histamines. You might have to lower, like, you know, I don't necessarily advocate having, you know, raw kale or spinach smoothies in high doses every day because that's a lot of oxalates, like an overwhelming amount of oxalates. But most people don't overeat spinach, you know, unless they're doing it in that way. And that's where the trends can become potentially problematic. All right. <laughs> Need to know that celery juice won't cure endo. I think one of the reasons I um I take I try to take it is because I had issues with um taking too much um N- NSAIDs. So yes, 
yeah, um, the painkillers, and um, it kind of gave me a bit of gastritis in uh, uh, my stomach. So trying to improve my stomach acid and um, was one of the reasons I started celery juicing. But I'm like, I still have endo. <laughs> Right. And it can help your digestion. The other thing that's really good for gastritis is things like glutamine, which you can get in bone broth or you can take glutamine supplements. Um, I definitely think that a lot of endo patients need to work on digestive healing because so often you've been on a lot of drugs and NSAIDs are really rough on the digestive system. And those are the best. Like if I have to choose, if I get a patient who's been on a lot of medications, I honestly prefer that the medications she's been on is... NSAIDs because the others are worse. You have opioids and benzodiazepines, which are highly addictive and difficult to get off. Now, sometimes they're really beneficial and good bridges, but we have to be diligent about how we're prescribing these and how we're taking them in the context of a whole, whole program. You know, none of these things is a magic wand. There's no, there's zero magic wand treatments for endo it always has to be an integrative approach yeah talking about integrative approaches do you um do anything with herbs um when it comes to dealing with endometriosis or other women's health issues like um, balancing of hormones do you do any do you use herbs at all or do you recommend it yeah i use things like turmeric all the time i use um chase tree vitex to support progesterone I use fish oil, which isn't really an herb. Um, I use some adaptogens like ashwagandha, maca in people that have low estrogen, probably not so much in endo, but uh, maca is good for like perimenopausal low libido or vaginal dryness, things like that. Um, Yeah, so I use a lot of different herbal medications. I use a lot of herbs to kill off bacteria in the digestive system, like SIBO or gut dysbiosis. Um, I use a lot of probiotics to support the vulvovaginal um, microbiome and the gut microbiome. So those are the most common ones I can think of off the top of my head. So I know you deal with lots of women's conditions. So apart from endometriosis, what other, because some of um, endometriosis sufferers actually have co-conditions. Yeah. So what other ones do you um, address in the Women's Health Institute? I work a lot with vulvodynia, bladder pain syndrome, or IC, uh, fertility. I work a lot with um, REDS, which is kind of overtraining in female athletes. So female athletes that lose their periods because they've been overtrained. Other causes of amenorrhea or irregular periods, painful periods in general, painful sex, and perimenopause, menopause. And sometimes we also work with uh, fertility, pregnancy, postpartum. Awesome. So just in case any of our listeners have any of these co-conditions, they know that they can also get that from um, the IWA. Those who are endometriosis sufferers at the moment, what would you say they should start with in taking back their health? What would you say the first step should be? I think they should work with a health coach or a nutritionist that's trained in coaching. And concurrently or second, I think a a skilled physical therapist who's done a lot of work with endo, they're going to be the most connected to the community and then help you find, you know, good quality pain management physicians. If you need more medical support beyond the lifestyle and nutrition and pain and PT, Um, they're going to be connected with surgeons. So I would start with a small team of a health coach, a clinical nutritionist, and a pelvic health physical therapist. 
And sometimes those, that, those people are like somebody's both a PT and a health coach or both a nutritionist and a health coach or whatever. So sometimes those are not three people. It might be one or two people. Um, but that's how I would start building your team. Okay, great. So building your healthcare team is really important in dealing with endometriosis or starting the journey. So if for those who feel like they're in a good place, so they kind of are in control of their symptoms and now they want to help or, you know, share their journeys with other people, how would you say they should get into this? What would you say the first step should be? So in that case, um, you know, if you want this to be your career to help other people with endo, the need is definitely there. I would suggest we have a program called the Women's Health Coach Certification. We actually even have a shorter program, which we're doing right now, called the Endometriosis Healing Accelerator Program. So those are for people that want to be coaches. So you don't have to have been a health professional, um, but you really want to coach people through the endo healing journey. Then you want to become a women's health coach or work through our endo accelerator program and we'll support you in, in becoming a health coach. Because like I said, it, it's one thing to have the knowledge. It's another thing to have the support to implement the knowledge. And that's really the role of a health coach. And, and the health coaching profession is growing really quickly. We have like, I live near Yale University and they're expanding and building a health coaching department now. Uh, MGH, which is the hospital associated with Harvard is doing the same thing. So health coaching is a really strong, viable, growing um, career. So if you feel really on fire about your endo journey and you want to help others, there's a place for you. And that's, that's who we train through those two programs. Okay. That's awesome. So are those the two courses that um, women should look at or focus on when it comes to endometriosis? Those are the ones, the accelerator, right? Yeah. The endo healing accelerator. I also have a really quick course. If you just want to kind of learn more about endo and don't necessarily want to make it your career, or you already have a career in health and you want like just more knowledge. We have a, just an endometriosis masterclass. We have a a stronger program called uh, functional nutrition and pelvic pain. So I'll give you the links to those if you want to share them with your community. I'll share them on your show notes. Thank you. One thing would you say is non-negotiable when it comes to women's health? Number one, I would say sleep. Okay, good. <laughs> number a close second would be meditation. Well, number one, sleep. Number two, meditation. Three, probably water. Drink water. <laughs> <laughs> so, what exactly is the importance of sleep um, when it comes to endometriosis? Because we we say it, but why is sleep so important? <laughs> Well, I think it's most important because of how it helps to heal the brain. Every night when you sleep, your brain is literally like uh, what's, you know, like a self-cleaning oven, if you've ever seen one of those. Okay. So there's this process biochemically called autophagy, which is literally the brain self-cleans, but it can only do that when you are deeply asleep or in meditation. And because all pain signaling originates in the brain, it's, it's really important to do that as often as possible, ideally every night. Um, and the other thing I would say is, look, all of us, people with endo are, you know, usually find out about it in their 20s to 40s. You're freaking busy at that point, right? You know, you're like, 
working, you're in grad school, you're trying to grow your career, you're in college, you're on the high school varsity lacrosse team, like you're busy and exhausted, you're, you know, you've, you've got kids and aging parents or are struggling with infertility because of the endo, there's stress related to the endo. The more sleep you get, the much easier it is to kind of have your brain available to you to make clear decisions about, you know, making good healing decisions, choosing what you're going to eat. So you're not just like so tired that you're just like sugar and caffeine to kind of keeping you going, making good nutrition decisions, getting yourself to exercise and physical therapy and asking for help and saying no to things and having boundaries, like doing all of the work is a lot easier when you're not exhausted. Yeah, sure. So how many hours minimum? (laughs) Um, Minimum six to seven, ideally eight. And I recommend with my clients, it's sometimes it's quality over quantity. If like pain keeps you up or there's some issue, then I always suggest that we shut off all the blue light screens. So the phones and the laptops and all that televisions by 8 PM, have a little bedtime ritual and try to be asleep at 930. Cause the, the earlier asleep, eight, nine 30, 10, yeah. even if you kind of wake up early from pain or you have a lot going on, it's just so deeper quality sleep. If you can get yourself to bed a bit earlier. Yeah. Very true. And meditation. <laughs> Yeah. So my fav- my personal, any kind of meditation is great. So if an app works for you, I just learned from one of my patients yesterday, there's a great app called Curable, which has some pain science um, exercises in it that we use a lot in physical therapy and they've kind of put them together in an app. There's Calm, you know, there's lots of meditation apps. My favorite practice of meditation is called Ziva meditation. And I can give you a link to that as well. Uh, Emily Fletcher, who created the technique, wrote a book called Stress Less, Accomplish More. And it describes the whole technique in there. The reason I like it is it's super simple and it only takes 17 minutes twice a day. (laughs) I I must admit, I'm not perfect at the second day, but it really does make a difference when you get that second one in. So try to do it. But I... I literally don't leave my bed in the morning until I've done my meditation. I just don't. I'll try it. <laughs> it's I'll worth it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jessica. I've had a good time with you today. I have definitely learned a lot um, about you know picking up myself and my health and all of that. And I hope our listeners have learned as well. Do you have any final advice? I think, you know, for women with endo, you guys are really, you know, I, I have personally had my own healing journey and it's, it's hard. So I honor all the steps that you're taking to take care of yourself and each other and just know that there is good support and help out there and, you know, just keep following people like you and and other advocates because the voices are getting louder. It's the loudest I've seen in my 20 years of practice. So have some hope. Yeah. Thank you so much. Awesome conversation with Jessica today. Did this strike a chord within your heart? It sure did for me. It matters so much to me that I am not a victim of endometriosis. And what better way to do this than by helping other women turn their pain into passion? If your interest has been piqued, make your way to www.integrativewomenshealthinstitute.com.
to learn more about the courses and programs and all the awesome resources available. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I would love to know. Send me comments or even a DM through my Instagram or Facebook page. Share with your friends and subscribe to the podcast. If you also have any questions to ask or topics you would like me to discuss, feel free to shoot me an email on info at notdefinedbyendo.com. I love to hear from you all. All of this information is in the show notes. Until next time, my name is Teniola. And remember, you are not defined by endo.